Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. All right. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. And hello to our listeners. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. This morning, we have Derek Weeks, Vice President and DevOps Advocate for Sonatype. He's also the co-founder of All Day DevOps, which is an online community, but also a 24-hour online conference that over the years has attracted over 130,000 participants globally. This just blows my mind. And and over five years, Carolyn, we're not talking two decades. I mean, we're talking relatively recently. It's huge. Yeah, huge. So welcome to the show, Derek. Ah, Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, Eric. It's uh, it's good to be here. So I have an admission before we get started. I I worked in R&D while I was still in college, actually. And I was a software tester, Derek. And I know nothing about this topic or very little. Because I I made it about two weeks and I (laughs) self-selected myself off the island. I I couldn't stand looking at three different computer monitors, multiple computers running test algorithms and not talking to anybody. So I am not a developer and you're going to school me today. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is a pretty easy topic. I think it's not uh, you can get into the complexities of it, but I think at a high level, it's something everyone can understand the the need for and the purpose of kind of what we're doing in the DevSecOps realms and managing software supply chains and other things. So I can't imagine it being easy, Carolyn. Development, security and operations. It's just easy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I was just going to do is say, what does DevSecOps stand, stand for? So thank you, Eric. And I want to I talk about this conference, this 24-hour conference that you've been doing for five years online because you want to be online, not because you have to be online. Tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, one of my friends in, in the community said we were doing online conferences before it was cool to do online conferences. Uh, so, yeah, we, we started this uh, all day DevOps five years ago, uh, and it really grew out of this experience that me and Mark Miller, the other co-founder, were having. We went to, let, let's say, 2025 DevOps security developer conferences throughout a year, and we would meet, you know, three people from Wells Fargo, five people from DuPont, one person from Intuit. And we're talking to them about what they do in DevOps and their teams back home at the office. And, you know, these groups could have anywhere from 10 to 20 to 200 to 4,000 DevOps professionals or development professionals in their organizations, but not all of them could attend a conference. And, And I said, you know, Mark, I think there's enough momentum in this space of people wanting to learn about DevOps that we could invite all of our friends who we know who speak at conferences, pull together a conference and run it online, make it free, make it available for everyone. In uh, that first year, five years ago, we had 13,000 people participate in this. Uh, we had, I think the first conference only had 57 speakers. This year on November 12th, we'll run 24 hours. We'll have five to six simultaneous tracks. We have over 180 speakers. 
We will have a government uh, track as part of the conference. We also have a DevSecOps track as part of the conference. Um, and, you know, a couple of things that make the, this experience unique. One, it's free for anyone to participate. So we always say register yourself and register your team. Two, we provide a Slack, a Slack workspace for conversations. And that's really important because the conversations in the community are really what you learn from. You can talk to every speaker at the conference, ask them questions. And even though the conference goes away, you know, after November 12th, all the sessions are recorded online, but the Slack workspace stays persistent. So if you want to go and talk to those people at any time after the conference, there are people talking on Slack today on, on our workspace there. It creates this community experience for people to participate. And the other thing that, that's really important about this conference is we don't allow any vendor pitches as part of the conference. So when you're coming, you're hearing from thought leaders and you're hearing from practitioners, but you're not hearing me talk about the awesome products we have at Sonotype for an hour, you know, as you're showing up and then hearing you know, 20, 30 other vendors also pitching their products. It's really meant for practitioners and leaders to, you know, get information about what's happening in DevOps and the latest practices and to share that with their peers across the, the world. How do you pick the topics, the tracks, you know, and, and, and get the speakers and get everybody going? Like, how do you, how do you structure it? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It takes a community to do this. So for, right from the very beginning, it was not, oh, well, Mark and I came up with the idea. It, it was uh, a group of people from the community. We had some folks from uh, Oracle, some folks from Splunk uh, who came in early on. Um, there were, I'm forgetting the companies where these guys worked uh, originally. They're all now at uh, a company called Verica, but we had three friends in Austin James Ernest and Karthik, who came in uh, along with a couple others from Intuit and other companies. And they you know, said, if we're going to do this and we're going to cover DevOps, we should talk about different topics uh, that, that make sense. And we evolve the tracks with community input that way. So we have continuous delivery. We have cultural transformation. We have government. We have a security track. We have modern infrastructure that's like cloud Kubernetes and that kind of thing. But it's really, you know, we as Mark and I are not the ones organizing the track. We've uh, enlisted people throughout the community that help us build the tracks, identify speakers that we should have on the agenda. But we also do a big call for papers. Uh, and I think we had hundreds of hundreds of sub submissions this year for the uh, positions that we have available. So is it does Sonotype? Do you run it through Sonotype or this is all just you and and your friend and the community. Yeah. So Sonotype is always a sponsor of the conference and has been from year one. There are other sponsors like CloudBees that have been vendor uh, vendor sponsors from uh, year one. Uh, also now secure is another vendor sponsor that, that we have. And Google uh, is also a sponsor this year, but we also have corporate sponsors. Northrop Grumman is a huge sponsor for the conference this year. Uh, supporting our government track all uh, all through the 24 hours. We also have State Farm as a big conference uh, supporter sponsor this year. Uh, and then we also have a couple hundred community groups throughout the world that help us spread the word about the the conference each year. So amazing. it's a pretty amazing experience. November yeah. 12th. 
November 12th, all day, we start at uh, 3 a.m. Eastern time, and we end on November 13th at 3 a.m. Eastern time. So, and, and you are on, hours. yeah, and you're on the and entire time, I right? Yeah, I stay up 24 <laughs> hours. This is the one time a year that I do it, and I always think this is about the craziest thing I could do, but it's so fun when we're into it. There's a lot of adrenaline flowing, and we have each session is about a half an hour. So every half an hour, we're changing oh with gosh. new topics, new speakers, and people are logging in from different time zones around the world uh, and sharing, you know, they're posting selfies on Slack of, you know, here I am in Belarus or Paris or Argentina, you know, or wherever they might be around the world. So it's pretty cool to see all the excitement build up. How do you That's sign awesome. up? Google All Day DevOps? Yeah, alldaydevops.com or just Google oh, All Day better. DevOps. And uh, so like your choice, alldaydevops.com. And I'll, yep. put it, and I'll put it in our show notes, too. I'll put a link That'd be awesome. to it. Yeah, yeah okay, it's so, free, so you can sign up as many people as you want. I don't see myself spending twelve hour, or 24 hours on the 12th um, based on my background and interests. And you heard my story about being yeah. a software test engineer. But I would love to spend some time learning about DevSecOps. It's an yeah. area that I don't understand well. What do you think, Caroline? Well, I'm I'm just fascinated by the logistics of this thing. But also, yeah, DevSecOps, I was telling Eric, this is a term that gets tossed around a lot in my organization. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't really get it. So can you just, you know, talk to me like I'm your fourth grader and explain to me what DevSecOps is? And, and particularly um, in the federal space. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the the evolution of development and even security has continued to change o- over the years that we've had the, these practices. But DevOps at its core to me is, one, it's a mix of cultural uh, practices within an organization that are supported by technology practices as well. And what it really tries to get to is fast feedback loops. Uh, And the fast feedback loops are if I'm doing something, if I make a change in code, how quickly do I know whether that is a successful change or whether it is um, uh, whether it's a problematic change in the code? It used to be, you know, when I started off in software development uh, decades ago, uh, it used to be we built a piece of software and we shipped that piece of software once a year or once every year and a half. Uh, if big piece, things, big drop, big, not big piece development. Right. Yeah. Right. I and, remember and, that well. And so when things went wrong with that release, you would have to either, you know, offer hot, uh, you know, hot fixes, uh, patch updates, you know, somewhere. But those sometimes took a couple of months to get out the door. Uh, and so the feedback loops were really slow. We'd spend a year developing the software. And if we didn't have the feature that you wanted, you had to wait another year, a year and a half to get that. And if there was a bug, maybe you were lucky to get the, the hot fix out there. So, you know, and that feedback loop was really long. And what people figured out is you could actually release bits and pieces of new functionality and new capability, release those quickly. And if they work, then start moving on your next thing. If they don't work, then you would know, you know, if it took you a minute to release this, you could pull it back in a minute, you could fix it, and then, you know, send it out again. So you were able to release new capabilities uh, and new value to your customers using that software faster. So 
DevSecOps brings security into that, that fold. So normally in a development lifecycle, you would build the software and then you have a security practice bolted on to the end of the software development uh, process. You would do the security check there and the security team would then give that feedback to the developers. And the feedback loops sometimes there were, you know, two weeks, four weeks, couple of months, depending on the, the organization. Meaning you it, wrote something, I inspected right. it. Two, right. three, four weeks later, you get something yeah. back on what you wrote. And now you've got to like figure out, let me, what was I doing then? How do I get back yeah. in the process, the minds? Okay. Right. So you can imagine with this podcast, we record it today. Some editor, you know, a month from now is reviewing it and saying, Eric, now we really messed up on this part. Can we go and re-record? And you're like, a month ago, what What was I doing? Who was yeah, I talking to? What? Yeah. Right. So that feedback loop is um, inefficient, Impressed. right? And so you need to think about how do we take security and embed it earlier in the development lifecycle? And some of that is tooling, some of that is information, but you can imagine if a developer is writing a line of code and as they're writing it, there's something effective to like a, a spell check built into their code and it says, hey, there's a security error or flaw that you are introducing here as you're coding, uh, you might want to correct that. That feedback loop would be instantaneous. So similar to. Yeah. Is that a uh, thing? That is, that is a thing. Um, and it comes in, you know, it comes in all different flavors. So if you're pulling down a Docker container with an application that you want to use in it, uh, you know, can you flag that immediately to say, when I downloaded it, uh, I've scanned that. I know there's a vulnerability in it, and I know immediately when I want to use that. With an open source piece of code that you're borrowing to help construct your application, is that safe uh, or not safe to use in your environment? Uh, and there's some types of um, various static analysis tools that will look at your code as you're writing it and give you that feedback. And it's really, you know, it it's amazing when you see it in practice. I was uh, one of my favorite stories. I was in Washington, D.C. I was presenting to uh, an OWASP meetup. So that's the Open Web Application Security Project. And I was telling them about some of the latest uh, efforts in DevSecOps. And one person in the audience who was a developer said, I just got an alert from GitHub where I submitted my new code and it says there's a security vulnerability and I have to go and fix it. This was a developer using GitHub, a developer tool, and that tool had information supplying back to the developer after they submitted their code that there was a problem and they were then able to go and fix it. Well, this didn't require a security team reviewing it. It didn't require six weeks, you know, a review six weeks later of their code to come in. But the developer has information at their fingertips seconds after they're committing code uh, to their um, code repositories or continuous integration tools or other development oriented tools that they're using. Are these tools standard or does every yeah. organization do like have different processes, different so tools? There are a number of different development, standard development tools that people are using, but what they, um, what different vendors in these spaces are using or, or developing, it's either a development tool um, that is standard for developers who just want to code, or it is a security tool 
that's figuring out how do I feed information or surface information about security to developers inside their own tools, right? So it's this kind of construct of like the, the Word doc and spell check. Spell check is actually a separate application, but it's feeding spelling information you know, to the person writing the doc. And so you can kind of see that construct. You don't have to send your doc off to an editor. You're just getting that information surfaced up. So you can make intelligent, fast decisions, fast feedback loops to get that flaw corrected in the code. And that's really, you know, in essence, what DevSecOps practices are leading toward, leaning toward. How do we get information to the developers faster about their code and what's going on so that they can take corrective action? And then also it works in operations. Once the application is deployed into production, if a security flaw is found, how quickly can we surface the feedback loop to say a flaw has been found and take action on it before adversaries can go and attack that vulnerability within the, the application? So if you think about it from a standpoint of feedback loops and how long or short are those, then it can help you better imagine what DevSecOps is bringing to the table. Carolyn? 20, almost 30 years ago, that would have been me, some knucklehead in college, trying to look for <laughs> those vulnerabilities or, or doing that and running iteration after iteration in, in the, I think it was Visual Test uh, Suite by Microsoft or Rational back in the day. I mean, it was a horribly inefficient process. So Derek, question for you then, Th that used to take, I, I remember it vividly, it would take months to release code. Yeah. And, and we would do, I think we had... The place I worked, we had an 18-month release cycle, I believe. We were trying to compress down to 12. That was the big goal back then. How how do we release code today? I mean, how quickly, while still retaining some level of, uh, you know, you need release notes, you need some consistency, yep. you can't release code hourly. How does that work? Uh, actually, you can release it incredibly fast. So okay, in, okay, in, I'm old. In these, uh, <laughs> how, do, how do you do it reliably? In these new environments, uh, especially for the, the best in breed out there, an Amazon or a Netflix or a Google, uh, they're at tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of releases every day. And the way that the way that you do this at scale and, and super fast like that, um, one of the, the things that they've figured out is that a lot of the kind of testing that was done by individuals could be codified. So if you'd say, I'm, you know, I'm running a test to look for this kind of thing, you could put that test into code. And instead of a quality, you know, quality assurance person saying, I, I just got the code from development. Now I'm going to develop my, you know, 20 tests that I run against this code. I'm going to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And then I'm going to send that information back to development. The QA people or security people or performance testing or unit testing folks with that expertise said, I'm actually going to spend my time not running individual tests for these applications. I'm going to put these tests into code so that every time the code is released into the, the system where it's integrated, I can run this test automatically against that. So people went from being able to manually doing, you know, Eric, if you were doing five tests before kind of manually against the, this code, you'd say, I codified those five tests. Now I can actually spend my time codifying five more tests and codifying a hundred more tests 
And then you can um, release or submit software for testing during this process that might have a thousand tests run against it within seconds. Um, so it allows that code to not only be developed, but be tested and understand that the quality is working before it's going out. So a lot of that information uh, about whether the code is high quality or not and meets the standards of the organization has been automated through these kinds of DevOps practices. And in fact, QA for the most part in these DevOps environments has effectively gone away from a kind of personnel structure because the testing has automated. been automated and embedded in. And it's not that the it's not that the function of QA has disappeared. The person doing manual tests has disappeared. The person creating automated tests is still there figuring out, hey, there's actually no end to the number of tests that I can create and run against this code. As long as you know running those tests isn't slowing down the development process and you're getting the fast feedback loops there. Uh, well, but I was just going to make a joke that I was ahead of my time, Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was I was really, really bad at this. I wanted to talk, right? I mean, I wanted to see people and interact. Yeah. And I, I just had to look at a screen screens all day long. So I, I love the fact of building it in and automating it. But yeah. then is it is it released? So if, if an error is found in the code, it's automatically released out to the customer or we wait no. until the next shipment? Is that yeah, a thing? So so the the way that the way that the feedback loops work is you're you're at step A and you're going to step B and when the code goes to step B we do a check and if it passes all those checks you go to step C if it doesn't pass the automation takes the code back to step A and says we noticed a problem at step B it needs to be addressed let's address it and then send it back to step B see if it passes if so go to step C and it's that kind of, it's not just one check at the end of like, is the code, you know, ready? It's literally there might Continuous. be a hundred yeah. steps that all have feedback loops built in. So if you get to step 53 and you get an error, it sends you back to step 52 or the appropriate step and says, we, we spotted an error. It's, you know, hopefully something simple because there was a little change. Can we correct this and then get it to move on? And if you can do that quickly enough, you know, a developer is going to appreciate that kind of like, I just committed code a minute ago. I'm getting an error. Let me correct that error on the new bit of code I just submitted. If I can get that within a minute, I'm happy to work on it. If I got that three weeks later, I'm not really happy to go back and like, I touch what line of code when? So well, especially if it's 2 a.m. and there's nobody checking yeah. anything at that point, right? Yeah. You can keep working when you're in your groove as opposed to this artificial hard stop. So yeah. what percentage of organizations are using DevSecOps? I, I guess that's the way to, yeah. to, uh, to, to position it a, as a development methodology these days. Yeah, so we uh, it's a good question. So we've seen DevSecOps evolve over the last, you know, seven years or so that I've certainly been looking at this space more and more intently. And I do an annual DevSecOps community survey as part of that, where I can see the um, how the industry is, is um, investing in these new practices. And um, in fact, for the 2020 state of the, uh, state of the software supply chain report that we just released last month, this was uh, August, 2020, 
We did a survey of about 670 development uh, teams. And within that, about 25% we would consider high performance DevSecOps uh, practices within what they, the different types of things they were doing within their development teams. So 25% of all companies or all respondents? 25% of all respondents within this. So, and it was, that's basically per company uh, that would be involved. So it's not like this brand new thing. No one's actually doing this. Like this is just visionary stuff. There are a lot of organizations doing it um, and, and a lot of organizations attempting to get faster at it. But, you know, let, let me kind of point out w- one thing that I think is also critical about DevOps practices and the, the employee bases that, that you have, whether it's private sector or in government agencies and why approach this. So that, you know, we've talked about the faster feedback loops and that makes work a little easier. It work, makes work more efficient. If you're a developer working in this kind of environment, where are you going to be happier? The one that you're getting faster feedback loops or the one that you're in this kind of slow monolithic, you know, release every year and a half kind of environment. The one where you're using newer tools uh, and newer capabilities or the one that you're using old legacy tooling and, and capabilities. So what, what they found, what we found in our surveys, what others have found in, in industry surveys around DevOps and DevSecOps is those organizations that are adopting these practices generally have much happier employees. If you have much happier employees, they're going to be more engaged in their work. They're going to be doing higher quality work. And they're also going to attract other people who want to work at these kinds of organizations to your own business or agency uh, to want to work in that kind of environment. Right. So there's there is a not just a technological payoff, or a customer benefit payoff that we can deliver more value or more features to market faster. But if you have happier employees, I mean, that is a huge, huge. competitive advantage, huge. right? Well, and I, not that I want another government mandate, Eric, but honestly, <laughs> as you're talking about this, Derek, I'm thinking, why would we accept software from anybody that doesn't use these kind of practices? Because this has got to improve the security a hundredfold. Uh, it certainly does, uh, but I think there, you know, it's easy to say it and it's harder to implement. And part mm-hmm. of that harder to implement has to do with the culture of the organization, right? If if I'm in a government agency and I'm running a QA team and you're telling me I'm no longer going to build all of these tests, manual tests for this software that goes out and we're used to our release cycles where we're testing that bit of software once a year and we're planning around that cycle of planning once a year and then you're going to tell me we're all changing our job descriptions to write tests to be automated and we're going to do lots of releases and i don't like change and i'm going to fight <laughs> against that culturally like right. it's you know yeah, yeah. it's or not the qa teams under under a contract yeah. right and and you modernize right you go this direction that contract goes away yeah Those are jobs so, so there's a lot of, you know, cultural barriers to this kind of transformation that people, you know, in, in our all day DevOps conference, we have a whole track, as, you know, associated with this topic because that is the most challenging part of DevOps adoption is how do you get the mindset 
to mm-hmm. then work in this kind of environment to map out what work needs done in this environment and to get all the different teams bought into. We used to work this way and now we're going to work this way um, and not have people feel like my job's at risk. Is my job totally transforming? Am I safe You know, here? Am I actually, if I go down this path, am I going to be better prepared in my future for the next job that, that I'm looking for? You know, whether it's at this agency or, or somewhere else. <clears throat> so, you know, that's something that everyone has to keep in mind as the leader of a, of a organization doing software development. Do it's transformation. See, yeah. And do you see the federal government, are the agencies there embracing this at a faster or slower rate than commercial? Hold I, on. I can answer that question. Yeah. Go for it. I have an idea. I'm, I'm going to go with slower. That's what I remember how I started the conversation. Mm-hmm. Derek? Yeah. So it is a little slower, but I think it really depends. You know, it depends on the place. There are some places that are making massive investments in DevSecOps or DevOps practices across the, the, the government. You know, Department of Homeland Security huge investments in this space, the IRS, Navy, Army, um, all the intelligence agencies are, are you know, working in this space to improve what, uh, what's going on. So okay. uh, I know the, you know, just locally in, in D.C., um, the um, uh, U.S. Patent Office uh, has fully embraced DevOps and has for many years, and they hosted the local DevOps days in D.C. for many years, I think, until we outgrew the space that they had uh, in their auditorium to host 500 people coming to DevOps days uh, locally. So there there is a lot of investment, but I think this really rings true for private sector as, as well as government. Not everyone in the private sector is adopting the, these practices. Some are struggling to adopt, adopt these practices. Some are threatened by competitors who are adopting these practices, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and needing to move more quickly. Because if your competitors can deliver more value to market faster, uh, you know, then uh, you're in an advantage in the market. I think for government agencies, you have to look at how are we delivering value to our constituents, our stakeholders, our customers within uh, federal government, uh, or perhaps be able to do it faster than what our adversaries are doing. Uh, and that's another reason, you know, DevSecOps comes into play. And, you know, something we, we can talk a little bit about what I found in the software supply chain report this year in terms of what adversaries are doing that has us needing to stay ahead of our game. So we're on top I, of our game, I should say. I just looked at the time. I can't believe that we like, I'm not going to lie, Derek. I thought at best this was going to go over my head and I would just have to nod a lot. So thank you. But it's for fascinating. Making this. Yeah, yeah. Like this is not as boring as I thought it was going to be. I'm actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Carolyn. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, I'm not I'll a developer, but, but honestly, uh, I would love to revisit, to come back to what you just mentioned in the state of the software supply chain report and talk about yeah. what you found with adversaries. On- hold on, hold on. We need okay. a teaser. I, Derek, I know, we need right? a teaser. Give us something right. to hang on to. So, so here's the here's the teaser. A lot of people in these DevOps practices are looking at how do we release faster, faster, faster. So, if you are deploying once a year, 
And then you're like, man, we've improved things incredibly. And now we release once every two weeks. Like amazing. 24, you know, 24 times improvement in how fast we can release. So if there is a security flaw in our code, we can fix that in the next release two weeks out. Okay, so wow, that's awesome. Now look at it from the adversary side of the business. A new security vulnerability comes out. The adversaries are scanning your network for that flaw within 24 hours. They they have a short window to find openings. They can exploit that flaw in three days. If you can only release software once every two weeks and the adversaries can exploit the vulnerability in three days, you're still too slow. So you can't focus on these internal benchmarks of, man, we're 20 times faster than we were before. If your adversaries are even faster yeah, You're we're moving at cyber speed now, right. Eric. We gotta have we gotta have you back, Derek. We gotta I, go over. I, I those think it sounds like a good idea. I, I yeah. apologize to our our listeners, but I feel like we're getting schooled, yeah. which is good. I, <laughs> yeah, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Derek. And I will get with your people to schedule you for our next <laughs> our next Excellent. episode. <laughs> I'll look forward to part two with everyone. So all, all day awesome. DevOps, twelve That's November, right. three a.m. to three a.m. Yep. I will Is get the Eastern? link in the notes. Eastern Eastern time. But yeah, you know, we have on the program it will you can pick your time zone and we'll convert that and tell you what time it is in your local city wherever you happen to live. I'll be Perfect. dreaming about you, but I'm glad you guys are there because it sounds like you're making the world a better place. Yeah. Super. Thank you so much, Derek. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us on the To the Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 